again, I'm Jonathan Singerman, and I'm a compulsive reader. <laughs> and I want to thank Michael for asking me to come and speak. And uh, he's hoping I don't put my foot in my mouth. So he doesn't look bad, but we'll try to do our best we can. Uh, I first, well, I'm, I'm born and raised L.A. Um, and I moved around a lot. My uh, father had a, an accounting, his own accounting practice, and he, but he also uh, played uh, commodities and a little bit of gambler, but he was a pretty great guy, definitely a man's man, a World War II vet and all that stuff, and, uh, and came from a tremendous amount of self-discipline. Graduated uh, passing high school, I guess, at 15 or 16 years old, skipped three grades. My mother was uh, had been a, uh, a teacher, and uh, don't sneeze during my pitch. Um, uh, uh, and uh, she uh, was a good woman, very nice woman. She, her mother died when she was around 11. Her sister became a very strong a woman, and she became uh, somewhat what I uh, perceive as very weak, very nice woman, but uh, very weak and. Um, and my image of women kind of went off and skewed from that point forward. Uh, my mother was a good woman, did the best she could with me, because uh, I was a pretty wild and crazy kid. My, both my brothers did not get in one hundredth of the trouble I got into. And, uh, but we're all kind of screwed up. We all have our stuff. My dad was kind of not a total workaholic, but, but he did what he had to do for him. And uh, he loved us. He took us to the beach on the weekends. And, uh, and my mother had a nervous breakdown a year after I was born. And uh, shortly after my brother was born, and uh, so I grew up. Uh, you know, I interpreted her um, mental illness as lack of intelligence, and uh, so to me, uh, if you, if you were nice and you were a woman, it meant you were stupid. And she was drop dead gorgeous, like Elizabeth Taylor, and so I interpreted her beauty to mean that you know, if you're pretty like that, it meant you were uh, probably dumb. I interpreted her niceness as weakness in her being pretty is stupidity. So I had a horrible image of women. And that carried to me into many, many years. And, uh, and I grew up with all kinds of prejudices. Black people. My father was from St. Louis, Missouri. And my, my grandparents, they, they didn't even talk about black people as black people. They were like the N-word. Okay? And that's how I grew up with that. And, and I tried to overcome that in high school and everything else. And I, and I did. Uh, in sobriety. Um, but... Uh, I grew up really screwed up, a wild, crazy kid, violent and crazy, and uh, three years of child molestation from the babysitters, at least hardcore child molestation, if you will, and uh, destroying people's property and running around. I almost burned my house down a couple of times. I used to set fire to, you know, putting paint there in a cup and watching it shoot up to the ceiling and enjoyed doing crazy stuff like that. And I called the fire department one time because like, the whole house started to get catch on fire in the, the side house, and I used to hammer holes in the walls and the whole thing and my mother would say oh Johnny's just you know just acting out or whatever she would say I, whatever she said back then and uh, my, my father beat me one time when I, um, I he, he put me in in the bedroom uh, for punishment I was six years old and I ran across the street to the oil fields in Blair Hills and and uh, you know he took me in that bathroom and beat the living crap out of me literally literally beat the crap out of me and uh, so I learned he was the wrong guy to uh, piss off and I learned how to lie very young. I stole, you know, from my mother because I could take advantage of her mental illness. And some days she was there right on the beam, and other times she was like not on the beam at all. And uh, and and I 
used to tell my friends that she was drunk because it was it was nicer. I felt more comfortable for me to say that than to say that she was mentally ill. I didn't understand that term at all. And uh, my father always used to try to get me to understand it. But on the same token, he was a very strong man and she walked in his footsteps. So that's kind of how I grew up. And my, I used to beat up on my brother a year, year younger than me and almost choked him to death one time. I just it was very crazy. And uh, so I was real screwed up. got an alcohol and drugs. At, uh, you know, I was smoking cigarettes at seven and alcohol and drugs. I started drinking at nine in Judaism. You know, we drank uh, wine a lot in different celebrations. And I snuck that quarter, three quarters of that bottle of wine at Passover service. And, uh, and at 12, I was getting more than alcohol and drugs, 12 to 15, you know, a lot of the grass and stuff. And, and, uh, and since this is not only me, I guess I should tell you, I did used to overeat just a little bit. Um, uh, I, uh, I was overeating probably from five years old on. I can remember I had my best friend, Bobby Scott, um, say his name because he's dead now. Uh, but uh, I remember I was in his van with his mom and dad. They were taking us somewhere. And, and I remember I'd eaten so many pancakes that morning that I, I must have eaten eight, ten, or twelve of them. I threw up all over their van, you know. And I just, because uh, I would always eat to the point of just stuffing down every feeling I could. And I didn't recognize it at the time, but that's what I was doing. And, and so between eating or alcohol and drugs, and sometimes I'd get any alcohol and drugs, and sometimes the food would back off a little bit. But, you know, when I drank, I mean, I remember my friend and I, we'd always drink, drink beer, and, and um, he'd get put away a case of beer. I'd drink one quart and be on my way, and two quarts I'd be blacked out. But we'd always get pizza with the beer. And, you know, when I was smoking the grass, I was always, you know, eating the white sugar, peanut butter, and everything else I'd get my hands on with the marijuana munchies. And, uh, and my weight went up and down, up and down. And, and my father used to say lovingly, oh, Johnny, he's just stocky, you know. And just, you know, I was fat. And then as soon as I'd get into the super health stuff, I remember at Parvary Junior High School, I got into exercising tremendously and eventually got up to doing 20 pull-ups and running a lot and really got in good shape. And, 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 and that young, you know, in junior high school, I, I could eat whatever I wanted because I was exercising like a fiend and burning it all off. Um, but I always went back to the food. And the weight would come on and come off and come on and come off and go up and up and up and up and up. And uh, got into alcohol drugs very badly from 15 to 16 and a half. Went off to another planet. Flipped out of my mind twice on hallucinogenic drugs. Uh, 16 and a half to almost uh, uh, 19. Uh, tried various ways to get sober. Um, not even necessarily looking for sobriety, but more really looking for uh, some kind of path to something out there looking for something some way to, to get out of discomfort and you know I'm Jewish fully bar mitzvahed at the ironically at the temple where I go to my AA home group on Wednesday night um, <laughs> went to Hebrew school there for three years used to make out with this girl in the girls bathroom when nobody was around crazy stuff um, and seemed fun at the time so it seemed okay uh, but the food would stuff down those feelings of the insecurity, the fear, that alcohol and drugs did that. And the combination, too, would take away those feelings of whether I was man or not because of all the, the sexual abuse and all the confusion of, you know, not only did I have that sexual abuse, but, you know, I enjoyed part of it because it felt good and part of it confused me because I felt so guilty. And, you know, and, and it became a very, I had this craziness in my head and the fear of women anyway going on. And, and then fear of fear and lying and stealing from places all over town and become a big bank robber 
like my uh, late AA sponsor, but I mean, I, if it wasn't nailed to the ground, I'd pretty much steal it. So, uh, you know, 16 and a half, almost 19, uh, turned my life over to, to Jesus again. I don't knock Christianity at all. I, I'm not, but I'm just saying I was Jewish and I became a born again Christian overnight uh, at the Sunset Strip. Because uh, in those days, in the 60s, they had all the movements around every corner. And, you know, you had not, you know, the cheering show of America was on one corner and Born and Christian on number. And it was just everywhere. Got into group therapy. Well, when I was arrested for possession, and they made me go to probation, and I got into group therapy there. I didn't really like that. But then I got into group therapy. And ironically, my therapist was a black man and a beautiful guy. He helped me out a lot. Uh, but, you know, you can only help someone out so much when those barriers are in the way. And... Uh, and I admitted to him all the stuff that was going on, but uh, he, I tried that. I tried reading Psycho-Cybermetics, tried uh, going into, uh, I guess, doing the Nami Oringa Kyo chanting and rub these bees together and you get what you want. And I didn't get what I want, so I gave that, that up in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, uh, eventually a friend of mine who I used to drink and eat with, uh, he was going to AA and... Uh, and I asked him what he was doing one night. He said he was going to a meeting, and I, and I went. And I heard this guy Marvar talk, who's still sober and alive today. And he, and he talked and identified a lot, but I didn't really think I was alcoholic. And I, and I heard about OA, and I thought I had an eating problem. At that time, I was only 165. Okay, I mean, I'm not. I'm only five six, five pounds less than that now. But at that time, I was going up and down my weight, and I'd been close to in the 180s or 190s at, at there somewhere. And uh, I went to OA and, you know, I went in and out of OA for four months. That was about 43, 44 years ago. And back then there was just one OA. There wasn't 5,000 branches like there are today. And it was just one OA. It was a gray sheet. That's what you did. And everybody did. They want to hear if it was your healthy thing to do or not. And I couldn't get that. You guys were talking Chinese to me. I couldn't understand a damn thing you're saying. My, my OA sponsor tried to, you know, he tried to help me and I just took offense at his honesty. And... Uh, but then I, I started staying sober, took the 20 questions in AA, got six yes, says three yes, you're alcoholic. I got six, I didn't believe it. But, but, uh, and then three months later, my, I, well, a month later, I started going to AA a lot and got involved with the Pacific Group, heavily involved with the Pacific Group. And, uh, you know, was super active there, going through the steps, changed sponsors at three and a half years sober, one moved away and took the four, another major fourth, two major fourth of the steps, super active in, in AA. Mr. AA all over the place, practicing these principles outside of these meetings and none of my affairs. <laughs> I mean, got into the sand like a track club, running seven, eight, nine miles a day one time, putting the basic combat training with the Army Reserve for six years, lost all my weight again, and then I, when all that training ended and went to advanced individual training, that weight came back on because I kept eating and eating and eating. And, and I've been, and I went at five years, I, sobriety came to OA, lost 45 pounds in, in like three and a half months. Back in those days, you know, so we're talking like 30 years ago, you know, three months of absence was a lot back then. And they were asking me to speak all over OA like I was Mr. Wonderful. And you just asked me, I tell you how damn wonderful I was. And uh, I remember this one guy from OA who was also in AA, he said, he said, you know, you're really being arrogant. And I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, you're right, and you don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, and, and, and I kept, and I was jogging with a friend of mine in OA, and I had my OA sponsor, uh, a guy named Don Bagley, who's now passed, I'll break his anonymity. 
Uh, don't break people's anonymity in the meeting because I learned to respect the spirit of anonymity, even though it's not in our 12 traditions specifically stated. But Don helped me a lot. And I remember in six months' absence, I was committing to white sugar peanut butter. He said, Jonathan, that's not on my absence. And I said, well, it's on mine. And I ate. And I ate. And my late wife and I, uh, she had lost 150 pounds in New York OA. And... Uh, and I'd lost that 45 pounds. I guess at that time I'd been up to like 190. And, uh, you know, we were gone from OA for after about a year and didn't even know we were gone. You know, this disease is so insidious. It took me out like that. And I didn't even know it because that self-will run right is always there. And, um, you know, my, my late wife and I, we were, we, we were in love for about two years until we... Until we got married, then I got a big resentment because she got pregnant. It was all her fault, of course. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and, and that first year of marriage, I mean, it's not like we were like dating once a week. I mean, we had been sleeping with each other three, four times a week. We were with each other. And my AA sponsor said, well, I was going to tell you it's time to poop or get off the pot. And he tried to help me with that marriage a lot. And she was a very wonderful, beautiful woman. But all I could do was bitch about, you know, the cup is half empty. You could have put five billion tons of gold in my front yard, earning interest of a billion dollars a year. And to me, all I do is bitch about the taxes. Yeah, I got to pay half million, half billion dollars in taxes. I mean, it's crude to for a financial analogy, but that's best I can come up with, I guess. But the, the point is, and, and because of my image with women and because of my terrible need to be right, you know, I mean, yeah, you got a good point, but I'm right and you're wrong. And, and a lot of times she was right. I mean, she had very, she was very lucid. She wasn't like me all screwed up in her thinking. You know, she'd come from New York. She'd managed those stock brokerage um, key punching departments back in those days. And it was a very together woman, very clear of mind. But, you know, I couldn't see anything. All I could see was my need to be right. And you're wrong. And especially if you're a woman, you're definitely wrong. You know, and there's a few women I respect in AA, but, but, but there weren't that many. And, 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 and a woman being as intuitive as you are. You know, they could see that five million miles away. Um, and, uh, you know, she died of, of kidney cancer and left me with four beautiful kids. And, uh, and my AA sponsor got me through that. And about uh, a couple years, I guess, um, you know, because I'm, I'm five years, ten months absent now. Um, so I guess it was around six years ago, um, I was going to, back to the AA men's Saturday Friday night. And a guy named Michael B., uh, who you might know. Uh, he was going to that stag. We're going out to dinner. I'm there at Poquito Mus, and I'm looking at him week after week. I'm saying, man, you know, you really eat really healthy. And he shared with me the program. Now, I wasn't going to come back to you freaking people for nothing. I hated you people. Screw you and your food plans. I'm not committing my food. To hell, I'll never weigh and measure. Screw you. But, you know, that night walking that parking lot, I was willing to crawl through 50 yards of broken glass to, to crawl to him. And I said, can I call you? And he said, yes. And I've been calling him every day, every day now. And he's still a pain in the ass. And, you know, he really makes me look at stuff that I don't like to look at. And my food's not perfect. I'm not Mr. One. I, I've gone up to like 243 in my weight and I stopped gotten on, getting on the scale. So I'm 5'4". So I'm, that's like 90 pounds overweight. So I'm not a 100 pounder. But... Uh, yeah, I was up and down that food and that weight all the time. And, uh, you know, so for the first time, I had to start working this program in a way that I never had. Because I'd been super good in AA and lost and gained my weight. But now I had nothing between me and those feelings and emotions. And I had to really start working this. And uh, he got me doing the deal, went through the steps again. 
he got he paired me up with somebody in the program, and we did the unofficial guide to the twelve steps, which is basically just reading the big book and going through it bit by bit. And I did not have to write another major inventory at that time because I'd done a few, to say the least. But I did get into writing eventually on the 10th step, and I do pretty much a written 10th step. On the weekends, once in a while, I get away with a verbal one with him. But for the most part, I, I, you know, I do my 10th step, my AEIOU format with him, you know, as an absent exercise. You know, a lot of times I'm off on my exercise, especially this last year, between being sick and these multiple surgeries I've had. But uh, I'll look for any excuse to get out of what I need to do. I asked the doctor yesterday, they, they said I could start walking again. Um, so I just had a little, another surgery last Friday. But um, we're, we're, we're good. Um, I need to, I, I was told that I needed to, because the first week of absence, I really didn't want to start going back to OA meetings. I was told, well, you got to treat the OA program with the same respect you preach the A program. I go, God, no wonder I couldn't get this thing. You know, I thought I could do everything right over here in this program, but OA, oh, it's just OA. I don't have to do that. Well, that, and that attitude kept me from, you know, losing the weight and kept me with that terrible self-will run right attitude. And um, so little by little, I had to start giving in that. And it's been very difficult giving in that. It's really hard, you know. I, <laughs> you know, and I have to call him at 6.15 in the morning, Monday through Friday, you know, on the weekends a little later, I, I, he lets me get away with it. But uh, that's like the worst time of the day. Even though I hit my knees, I roll out of bed, I hit my knees, I try to do everything, and certain things I do for my spiritual tools, things like that. So, uh, and, and you know, I started my journey, and I, and I take some calls from a few people that I'm lucky to help and get out of self. And, um, you know, I try to go through the day. And, uh, you know, I got a couple of committed meetings I'm at. Uh, Saturday morning is out in Santa Clarita where I live. I lived out there for about 27 years. And, uh, you know, I got a committed meeting on Monday night, so I got two meetings. I'm a delegate. I'm, and I always have some other commitment at, at my two OA meetings, sometimes more, that I go to. Um, when I was, had some surgeries and things, I was on disability for a little bit. I was going to extra meetings. Um, and, of course, I got my AA meetings I go to. And I'm even going... The Al-Anon. And I don't want to confuse the newcomer. I know we saw no hands go up. For the people that didn't raise their hands or those who were here a short while, you know, if this is your main disease, stick to your main disease. Just do that. I mean, I, if you start doing too many things, it gets you crazy. But I had to do what I had to do for me. I, you know, the people in AA, I love them very much, but I couldn't get the help I needed with my food. And my, always, and my AA sponsor, I, I went to him again and said, I'm going to try this OA thing again. He said, I don't want to hear about it for a year. Don't even talk to me. Because he'd been up and down with my food. I mean, they used to serve brownies at our Wednesday home group AA meeting. And that meeting's about 600 people, six to 800 people. And uh, he told me, I don't ever want to see you eating brownies at a meeting again. That was, that was like 20 years ago or something. And I'd look across the room to see if I could see him anywhere. So I could grab, <laughs> and I'd grab some brownies and son of a bitch, if he wasn't like right behind me on my butt, you know. So I couldn't eat my favorite brownies. But, you know, that's, uh, is that the time? Five minutes, good. So, you know, I, I, I had to learn to take this program everywhere I go. And little by little, it's gotten better. I, I, I tried something yesterday, which is new I've, <laughs> at work, because I, I have a problem. I do all this stuff, is reading and stuff, and call Michael and everything else in the morning, and Mr. Spears will take my calls. But when I get in that door at work, I get so focused on what I'm doing. And it's good to be focused. It really is to get out of self and be a service. I need to give them everything I got. But the same token, I go to the extreme and I wind up, you know, if something doesn't go right, I get all pissed off and crazy. And, uh, you know, and I'm in this cubicle in the back. I'm supposed to be an example. I've been there like 24 years, by the grace of God. When I was new in AA, I couldn't hold a job for 24 days sometimes, literally. 
So this program does work. Um, and I was married, good, bad, and different, for, for 23 years before the, uh, that kind woman died. And I tried to give her my best last four and a half years before she died. Um, never cheated on her, thank God. It was, it was a bad husband in many ways. Um, uh, her death, actually, out of all evil, a little good must come. Made me a better father. Uh, about a year before she died, I started taking over my youngest daughter and uh, had to become a better father to my other kids. The two older ones got kind of short end on the stick because time was short and I had to give it to my 11-year-old. Um, so we're a little more closer than others, and which is good and bad or out of all that. But my life has gotten better from this program in all ways. And trying to be abstinent, you know, my food is not perfect. It wasn't even perfect yesterday. I wanted to be perfect, to speak to you as how perfect it is. It's not, you know. But I have learned that I'm better than what I was. When I got back here this time, and hopefully... Just for today, it's the last time because tomorrow I could be binging on my mind. I am a stone-cold suicide death eater, man. I eat to die. I mean, 10,000 calories a day is what I was eating before I got here. I was eating those sugar like there was no, no amount. Um, and uh, little by little, my life is getting better, but I have to keep coming back. I have to keep working those nine tools of recovery. You know, you've heard a lot of them tonight already. You know, the, the action plan, uh, having some kind of plan with my food. Uh, meetings, calling a sponsor, sponsoring people, uh, trying to be have some degree of anonymity, being of service in all the different ways, and making those outreach calls, uh, picking up that 10,000-pound phone. Phone. I'm five years, ten months absent. I got to make that call. Bull, bull crap. I got to make that call just like anybody else. And when I think I'm different, that's when I'm in the most dangerous spot of all. When I think, when when. You know, thank God my OA sponsor has the guts to tell me, you know, you're being really defensive or he'll hang up on me once in a while. Thank God I pick up the phone and call him back because that ego and pride is just a killer. It'll kill me every damn time. But I know I've got an OA sponsor. He's like 26 years absent. His sponsor is like 35. And I guess his sponsor sponsors has some god awful amount of time. So. I, I, I know I want to argue with all of them and you and your program, but while I'm doing what you're doing, I haven't had to go back to that terrible weight. You know, I've been, I think I went back up a little bit recently, but I'm at 160. But I've been like 80 plus pounds and close to 90 pounds uh, for a long time now. Um, and, you know, I still got a little more to go to my goal weight, but my life is getting better. Uh, it was 11 years since I got into a relationship with another woman. And just the dating thing was kind of scary. And I didn't do much of it, but, but God put this woman in front of me out of nowhere. Uh, and it was a God-directed thing, how we met. It really was. She's in the program. And, uh, you know, we all have our issues of getting along, but we're willing to work through it. So I'm willing to, because I'm willing to listen to some direction. Because I know what a failure I was before. I don't want to screw that up this time. You know, he's given me another shot. Let me not screw it up again. And again and again and again. So, um my time's just about up. I just want to thank you guys for being here and allowing me the honor and privilege to come and share. And uh, if you're new, please keep coming back. And better yet, please stay. Thank you very much. So I guess uh, we'll take questions till 9.35. Yes. Can you stand up, please? And Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, Robin, and you gotta be clear. You talk clear if you don't chew that gum. 
okay. So, so your question is, so your your question is, uh, just, just repeat it again, please. Yes, big problem. Okay, okay. So the question is, how is letting go of the need to be right helping me even incrementally? And the answer to that is, is a lot of times, a lot of things, I, I, I don't want to do them at all, but doing them incrementally in even the smallest amount. You know, like sometimes I don't want to work on something and Michael will say, well, just, why don't you just commit to 10 minutes? And sometimes I can't even do that. But if I do the 10 minutes, all of a sudden, know, all of a sudden it's like two hours has gone by and I realize, wow, I got that done. And that need to be right has helped me enormously. It helps me in everything in my life uh, in so many ways. It's hardest to work this program at home. Working this program at home, it's really easy to be real spiritual in the meeting and, and talk to people and everything like that. Going at home when, when my kids are screaming in my face, I want to throw them through the wall. That's not, that's not so easy to do. But is it more important for me to be comfortable or right? You know? So, you know, sometimes I get so into it. And, and if I start off cursing and lose my temper, then I'm, I'm already off on track. If I'm lucky, I'll pull myself out. But usually the best thing is I have to learn to walk away and, uh, and try to, to remember to ask God to go into uh, that place, that house before I go into it. And I, and I almost didn't say that. That I've been try- I tried to do that yesterday. It actually worked a little bit better. I still lost my temper when, when the software that wasn't working the way I wanted it to work. But I noticed after I cursed once or twice, I wasn't going crazy for, for 15 minutes on end. So the rest of the office didn't have to wonder who, who's causing the fire in the back corner over there again. Um, my need to be right is kill, kills me. Okay, I have a job where it's very important to be right, but it's really more important for me to look at the thing honestly and say, okay, what? How can I solve the problem instead of having to be right? Is it, and if I am right, is there a nice way I can communicate it without having to beat the crap out of people? Is there something else that I need to look at in this situation? And that helps, you know, whether it be at the job or whether it be at home with my kids. I mean, I can listen to my kids. They're not stupid. My youngest ones now are 23 and 28. And my oldest daughter uh, is, uh, you know, 33, I guess. And my son's going to be 35 soon. And, uh, you know, the older two are attorneys. So there's no point in fighting with them because, you know, they sharpen their blades constantly. (laughs) But... uh, I've learned I can let go. I don't have to get in the middle of their arguing. I don't have to, uh, you know, I can, I can, I, I try to say, make a suggestion sometimes, but for the most part, I'm trying to learn that, you know, if they're not asking a question, don't give them an answer. And that's hard to do because I, I see this, them going down the path the wrong way all the time. I don't have to be right. It's their journey. At work, you know, people always have these needs to be right about everything and you get uptight and I do too, you know, but the same token, I, I can say, you know, uh, I don't, you know, let's see if we can just work this out. I had this situation yesterday, you know, or I, let's see if we can work it out instead of, you know, does it have to be this way? And, you know, I work with a guy, uh, he's very, very bright. Thank God his memory is better than mine because I forget some of the stuff that he remembers. But uh, he has a terrible need to be right, and a lot of times he is. So I try to look at, look at it from his side, and when he's being, you know, out of control or he's wrong, I try to back off a little bit and just let him have his way. And, and, I, and I can make a suggestion to people at work. And, and if they don't take it, it's not the end of the world. I don't have to control everything and everyone. And being right a lot is about being in control and trying to, you know, not, 
my fear of me looking bad. I, you know, you're going to find out that I don't know every answer there is. I'm going to lose that job. I'm going to lose this thing. I'm going to lose that. So, you know, my OA sponsor tries to make a suggestion about something with my food or something. You know, and I'm thinking, God, you know, he's wrong. I can do this. No, you know, I mean, you know, and I've been off the white sugar desserts for five years, ten months. And, you know, there may be uh, some other thing I do, but when certain things with the food come up that I really want that's not a breach of my absence, but I see I'm having a problem with it, do I have to get honest with myself and... And, and look at it and say, is it really a problem? Maybe I need to change that in my absence. You know, I don't have to always be get my way on everything. Um, and to give up the little things, to uh, they they help me and uh, helps me in my relationship. I'll tell you that. You know, I, I can let my girlfriend. She can. You know, she's working a pretty good program. But you know, we have our differences. But it's okay. I don't have to have my way on everything. And and that works out much better than Jonathan trying to force his will on everyone and everything. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah. All right. Yes, miss. Thank you very much. Could you please uh, talk about how you work steps 10, 11, and 12 in this program? Yeah, 10, I do a 10-step every, every day. And, and to me, there's not a lot of differentiation between the other programs because when I'm doing it, to me, it's on, on all all my programs. But in my 10-step, I use that AEIOU format. A was I abstinence, meaning... I call my sponsor more. I say, "Yeah, Michael, okay. I, I, I was gonna eat this, but I had I had the the bread sandwich, or I was gonna eat um, steak, but I actually had fish. It's not a big deal. I mean, if I switch it, it's okay to, to switch it, provided I what I text him in advance. If I don't text him or call him in advance, I need to own up to him in the morning. And he says, you know, it'd be better if you did that in advance. And I thought, you know, he's right because when I start doing it my way, it doesn't work. Um, that's my A, you know, was I abstinent? Uh, e, uh, and my abstinence is no white sugar desserts, no, no pizza, no white sugar peanut butter. And, and there's, there's those murky gray areas i got to be honest and make sure I'm doing a daily accountability with my sponsor. Um, the a, E is the exercise. Did I do an exercise or not? You know, and like I said, I've been a little short on that. Last year I've been up and down. You know, I was sick for a month and I had a tough time coming back. And I started coming back finally and I had dialed hand surgeries and I was out of action for a little bit even though it was on my hand. So I wasn't allowed to overdo it and i got to take it easy now with this uh, gum surgery I have. But, then, but still an E. I either, did, I do, did I do a walk? At least do that. No, Mike, I didn't do the walk. Okay, well, maybe you can try 15 minutes or whatever he says. You know, that's the E. And the I is what did I do for me? Did I go to me? Did I go to work? Was I trying to be helpful to somebody else to get out of self? You know, did I do my prayers? Uh, you know, what, what things did I take care of for me? Um, oh, what did I do for others? Now, I used to tell him what I did for others, and he got to a place where he said, don't tell me the things, just let me know if you did things for others or not, because I don't need to get into waving my flag about how wonderful I am and what I did, even though I wish you'd acknowledge it. Um, <laughs> And uh, and and you is you know I, I you know, looking at my fears resentments you know what, I get irritated with my daughter because she did that, she didn't do the dishes the other night and left too much grease on the stove and it pisses me off because I do it in the morning it takes extra time and, and again is it more important for me to get in a big fight with her and beat on her or to let it go you know and and he reminds me all the time how important is it and I forget it it's very easy to stand up here and talk about that you know it. it it doesn't seem important now. I can let it go. Oh, yeah, Mr. Spiritual. But when she's in my face or my son or somebody else and I want my way, it's very important at that moment because you're wrong and I'm right. So I have to let go of that all the time. So, you know, I have less, you know, i got to work on anger all the time. I lose my temper very easily. 
So I gotta, I have to work on that all the time. You know, did I lose my temper? You know, you know, and and fears. You know, what am I afraid of? You know, there's a, you know, am I afraid of going through a situation that I need to go walk through? You know, fear stands for face everything and recover. You know, or is the healthy fear like you know, dodging the cars on the freeway at two in the morning? I can get away with it a thousand times, but I only got to hit once to get killed. So you know, there's healthy fears like that looking too far over the cliff and there's unhealthy fears about you know, taking a hike to just going up to the cliff and you know being sane and doing it that way um, A-E-I-O-U and, uh, and that's pretty much that and I do my three gratefuls and a yahoo every morning as I always have things to be grateful for I only need to look at them and then I give them my, uh, my food plan you know and then and if there's something funky in the food plan thank God he's honest enough and has the courage to be a good sponsor and, and tell me stuff you know I mean I, if you can't be honest with your babies you don't got any business being a sponsor I think for me as a baby I need honesty and therefore I give that honesty to, to uh, you know the, the one only baby I have now anyway and, uh, and to my other uh, AA baby I give them that honesty and I try to remember not to beat the crap out of them um, anyway, so did that answer your question? That's 10 on 10. 11 is, I hit my knees every morning. I go through steps 1, 2, 3, 6, 7, 10. And then 11, a lot of times I will, you know, sometimes I get a little rushed and I miss it. So, but I, I try to just pause a little bit. I tried to do that this morning. Even though I was rushing just to pause a little bit before I read my voice of recovery and just have a little bit of meditation. Sometimes I'll do it in the car if I'm... You know, a lot of times I make those calls, but I'll do it in the car because God does. I don't. Have, even though I'm Jewish and we don't pray on our knees, I pray on my knees all the time. Um, but I don't have to be in temple or in a meeting or you know on my knees at home to talk to God. I can talk to God as I understand Him wherever I am. Sometimes I'll and I can do that meditation a little bit. I'm not Mr. 10, 20, 50 minute meditator. Um, you know that that'll be next week's speaker. That's not going to be me. I'm not going to lie about that. But uh, meditation is good. When I do it, I'm, I'm better off. And, and I try to do a little bit. Um, and you said 10, 11, 12 is, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, try to practice these principles in all our affairs, carry the message. So in carrying the message, I do the outreach calls. I try to take baby calls. I try not to say no to an OA request. Um, being of service, you know, to me, if I can't, Talk to somebody newer or sicker. I can still help clean up after a meeting. Being a service is a form of recovery. Um, and it's part of that 12-step, too. Uh, practicing these principles in all my affairs, that's, that's in everything I do. I mean, you know, that's everything I do. Uh, whether it be work or, you know, I mean, how can I talk about how wonderful I am practicing principles at work? And I learned to practice the principles in my affairs at work because when I didn't, I got fired. And I got fired again and again and again. So, there, you know, you pick up that tab. But when you're married, you don't necessarily throw in the towel right away. And uh, so now I'm learning, you know, to throw in that towel sooner than later and to shut my mouth and try to talk it out with a sponsor instead of taking out my anxieties on, you know, my girlfriend or my kids. And it's, it really needs to come when I go home late at night to take stuff out on them, you know. Practicing these principles on my affairs. I'll be Mr. Wonderful in the meetings and come home and being a son of a bitch, which I've done many, many, many times, is not practicing these principles. I have to learn to take it in that place. Ask God to please go in this house with me, God, and not to lose my temper. And a lot of times it boils down to just shutting my mouth and when they're screaming and going crazy at me, they just walk in the back in my bedroom and close the door. They have to work out their own stuff. Well, Jonathan, what if they kill each other? Well, I'll pick up the bodies in the morning. You know, I mean, I love my kids to death, but at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I've, I've gotten in between their fighting. We got holes in the walls and stuff. So, 
you know, practicing principle I fear is, and all that I fear is letting go and letting God and letting them grow up a little bit too. Does that um, answer your question? And another question? Yes, miss. My food plan is now is the same as it was when I got abstinent, is uh, no white sugar desserts. So if I want to go out with my OA sponsor for a frozen yogurt that's sugar-free, we do that once in a while. But basically, basically, I don't do too much sugar-free stuff because for me, it's like methadone instead of heroin. So, for, so I, don't really like, I, I don't think I've done the sugar-free chocolate yet. I mean, there might have been some here and there. But the, but the, the carbolite, you know, the sugar-free stuff, which is not that good for you, I've done that a little bit. Um, but for the most part, I stay away from the sugar-free stuff because if I get into it too much, why am I doing that? Well, what is about that that I'm doing? You know, is there, what's, what am I hiding from? So, you know, I stay away from the white sugar desserts, although I did discover that there are going to be white sugar in certain kinds of other foods. So I have to watch that now, too. Um, I stay away from the... Um, I haven't had pizza. You know, my sponsor said, When's, what about pizza? He told me he had a problem with pizza. And I, and I could think back to five years old when maybe the only time I ever had one slice is when, um, you know, that was the only slice left in the refrigerator. I'd eat a whole pie. And, then, and, then, and it was my kids. I'm, I'm sorry, but, um, you know, I come first. You're second. When it comes to that food, I can't put them first unless I put my abstinence and sobriety first. Um, so, you know, i got to call my food in and I do a fifth step on my food stating the exact nature of my food the next day and, uh, and I try to be honest about it. And if I fall short, then I call him back later and I say, you know, Michael, hey, I meant to tell you this. And sometimes I forget something. Sometimes I make an honest mistake. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, got, I make mistakes. It's okay. I'm human. It doesn't mean I've got to say F it and go out there and blow it and eat it. That's this black and white thinking that is the difference between me and what it used to be. Is this terrible black and white thinking. I had to get away from that. My absence is imperfect. Oh, F you and all of you. I'll just go eat 10,000 calories. If I do that, I'm never going to lose my weight. I'm never going to get there. So, you know, I'm not sure if this is the right way to do it, but it's been working for five years and ten months. It seems to be working with my OA sponsor. I mean, he does his stuff, which I would, you know, I don't go to Tito's Tacos. I haven't been to Tito's Tacos for, you know, approaching six years. He can go. I can't. I mean, that was what... I was like going into a bar, man. I mean, I never had a legal drink in my life. Maybe one day I will be able to go there, you know, and I probably will with, with, with my kids. But I, you know, I had to give up the chips, you know, just I could eat four baskets of chips. I can't eat one. I don't know what that is. I don't understand that. But, you know, so there's certain things like that. And it's just a day of time. My absence grows and changes a little. There's certain things I had to get honest. I had this chili one time. It was so good. I'd committed it. It was okay, but yeah, but I found myself really eating it. And I was craving it. Well, I don't know what it was made of, but they must have dumped a bunch of white sugar in it or something. Because I I don't crave chili like that. I like it, but not like that. So you know, sometimes I got to be honest about what's bothering me, and then be honest with my sponsor. And we can talk about it. Because if I'm not honest with him, I got nothing. I got nothing. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Yes, Miss. Uh, when my wife was sick, there was not a lot of God in my food because I was in my food. So I can't talk about what it's like to go through a five-year battle of cancer uh, with your wife because she's already dead. But, um, you know, Michael, I, I was 30 or 60 days sober. And he said, well, did you do the food prayer? Because I was kind of hungry. I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, he said, he said God, say, God, thank you for this food. Please let it be enough. 
And if it's really intensely bothering me, say it intensely. Many times after a meal, say, God, thank you for this food. And a lot of times I'll start eating and I will forget to say a prayer. And I'll say, oh, wait, i got to say a prayer. And I'll say that prayer. And I'll say it again and again and again. So if I bring God into the food, I find it works. Now, I don't see a burning bush coming up anywhere or God coming down saying, you know, you got to give me a call. we got to talk about this a little bit. I, but saying that food prayer has helped. You know, again, what part of my program can I let go of that I don't have to do anymore because it's a pain in the butt? I don't know. So I just keep doing all this stuff and it seems to work. Um, so I bring, that's how I bring God into the food. And I try to talk to my higher power, but God works through people. I don't have his phone number. And I wish I did. I talk to him and I, and I try to talk to my higher power and pray for the right thing to do and, and hope that I get that answer. And, uh, and I'm trying to do, be better about that. Does that give you an answer? Yes, sir. Um, you mentioned sort of having a food set is perfect. Um, what is your what's perfect food to you? Perfect food to me would have been what it was uh, when I came to OA 43 years ago and being on that gray sheet. I'm not knocking the gray sheet. But that's going to be perfect. I'm weighing and measure perfectly every single thing there is. And uh, I don't weigh and weigh, measure everything. But I try to be honest about it, you know. Uh, and, and I remember... And I got my cereal from a cup and a half because Michael said I could have a cup and a half, get it down to a cup. And, and, and he didn't tell me to get it down in a cup, but I did. And, and then he said, well, give a little back to God. So I weigh that. And in and, and my OE meeting, we talked about this Saturday morning, that sometimes it's a little over that cup, and I think, oh, screw it. That doesn't, that doesn't matter. And I really, you know, it does matter. So I'm not being perfect, but maybe with that one thing, I'll try to be just a little more perfect. And then I will give a little back, back to God. And I'm not perfect with everything. Sometimes I may eat, you know, if I go out for a steak, I may overdo it. But, you know, I don't do that too often, you know. And, and, and I've learned to try to do a little bit of balancing. That, that, you know, like this morning, I know I'm going to eat breakfast out with my kids afterwards. And I was thinking, oh, I could eat a bigger breakfast, you know, because I'm not going to eat anything this morning. I thought, no, that's not the way to work this program. Have a little food early. It was like 7 o'clock when I was getting ready. Have a little food now, just a little bit, some fruit or something. So I'm starving and wanting to binge on my mind for not eating five hours. Because my only sponsor said eat every four or five, three, four, five hours. So I try to have a little snack and I, and I commit to my snacks and, and my three meals. And I try to use moderate, you know, amounts. And because after all, I'm not going to lose weight. Overeating, I, you know. I, you know, when I came back this time, I was having the chest pains four or five t- times a day. It was no more, you know, gonna look nice for little ladies. It, it was, it was life and death. Sugar levels were diabetic. Cholesterol was killer. Levels, I mean, and I was, and I was not popping out those four or five chest pains to my AA sponsor for a year and a half or two. I, I just was so self-willed, but you know, the food beat me down. So, you know, um, I'm. Feel graced by God that I'm here. Did, did I answer your question, Terrell? Okay. Okay. All right. Well.